Hi, Randy. Welcome back to the barn. Oh, it is good to be back in the it barn, is, Jeff. Something's missing, though. Uh, well, they weren't normally in here. That's true. Are you were... talking about the horses? Yeah, they were uh, not Coco in Coco the... and Rosie. I think we mentioned this last time, uh, but they have been rehomed. They have been. Um, it was... I don't think I... It was a bittersweet day. Mm-hmm. Um, right when I started to cry about it, I found a task that I could take my mind off, but... They seem to be happier yeah. <laughs> where well, they are now. It's it, They're in a better place, and it's yeah. not horse heaven. No. It's, it's still on earth. And, but uh, it is Berlin. Well, it's close. Yeah, that's pretty close to heaven, they say. Um, yeah, they, they're getting ridden. Nice. Um, and messed with and played with. I'm very happy for them. So we have a horseless barn now that we do the podcast a on. horseless barn. That's right. But um, there's plenty of horse decor still left. Don't still, worry. The room yeah. is still set. The setting is here. Um, and uh, it's been a wild week for you, Jeffrey. Yes. So I feel like it hasn't been that long since we've recorded a podcast. Um, that means time's flying and you're having fun. Or it means it was like 45 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) That too. Yeah. But you know, the timing is, I do think is cool because, uh, I finished Brent Lewis's book, Stardust by the Bushel, Mm. and it's about Hollywood on the Eastern shore. So the timing of Jay Copeland. Being with us for the previous episode um, was perfect. I, I felt like, and we had yep. a, we had a good time. But what have what have you been doing? Anything? Just work. Just work, man. Yeah. Uh, work and work, and uh, you know, got uh, baseball and soccer, and it's pretty much the same stuff as uh, as previously. You know, just it's a busy life. It's a busy time. I think just trying to get everything scheduled and remember the things that I uh, am supposed to do, like picking up children from different things. Like that's an important one because if you don't pick them up, then they just sit there and you look like a terrible parent, which may or may not have happened yeah. before. Well, just because you pick them up doesn't mean you're not a terrible parent. Oh, of course not. But at least the outside world doesn't necessarily know that, right? Yeah. yeah. So today we were, um, we're last time, okay, our whole timeline's a little messed up now, yeah. but last time you and I met, we recorded with Dr. Clara Small. Correct. Um, the Middle Passage. Now, I want to talk... I got some this, uh, some good response from some people about that. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So I've also done something else um, since that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working on the, the website. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'm constantly working with people who are working on the website for me. And I finally... There's some ads on, on there now, which might be a little bit annoying, um, yeah. but I'd like to make some money. Is so, it mostly because of the the voice? That's why it's annoying. The ads? Yeah. Is it the one I did for you? No, no, no. no I'm oh, not talking about oh. that. I'm talking on the website itself. Oh, the web. I got so you. So little pop up ads and stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm learning how to manage those. I don't think they're too too bad. You yeah. Just scroll past them. Yeah. Actually, um, uh, we would appreciate you uh, going to all our advertisers. And well, I'm just kidding. here's an unfortunate thing. That they're happens. not yours. <laughs> so. These are put up by Google, mm-hmm. and the way I think it works is they have a computer yeah. who scans my content or our content on yep. delmarvazone.com, mm-hmm. and even the content within each individual blog post. It's target marketing at its best. Yeah, and they pick keywords, yep. and they assign a what seems like it would be an appropriate ad. Correct. Well, what was our last podcast about? Oh, no. The middle passage. Yes. And we used words like ship, mm. sail, yes. voyage, oh boy, port. So we've got a lot. Let me guess. We're we're going on a lot of like uh cruises. Ads for cruises. Yes. Um have you you've been on a cruise before. I have never been on a cruise before. 
I'm I have and completely doing... misses the point of the entire podcast. It does. It does. Um, it's one of the when I saw it, it was one of those. Actually, I didn't find it funny at all. Yeah. As I reflect now, I think they might be gone. You have kind of a pissed off look right now about it. Oh, I mean, I mean to look like I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm not pissed off. Oh, but you have a resting pissed off look. Yeah, that's it, um, when you're thinking. Just one of the things. Yeah. Uh, it was not in the mobile version. It was just in the, yeah. the desktop. And I mean, let's be real. How many people look at their desktop? And so, um, but it was like one of those funny, not funny moments. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I ran it by some people who I thought might care and they thought it was funny. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but control what you can control. That's kind of the way capitalism. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a little bit of irony there. Yeah. Of course there is. That yeah. I'm trying to make money and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk yeah. about it anymore, Randy. I feel really yeah. Guilty so we'd love you to go on a cruise, but not Jeff. <laughs> Jeff would yeah. not like you to go on a cruise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that happened. Um, Can I address an elephant in the room right now? Where? When I saw you today, there's not a huge elephant in the room. Uh-huh. When I saw you today, you have a, a particular T-shirt on uh-huh. that is Nike Plus Run Club, and it's something I've I've been running since you know 20, 2021. right? But and you're looking very svelte. Uh, thank you. I need to be more svelte. But I have or had that very shirt that I picked up at a Nike outlet years ago before I even started running. So I was kind of a poser. So maybe this is right. What, sir, are you accusing me of? <laughs> I'm not accusing you of anything. In fact, I'm trying really hard not to accuse my wife of anything. Um, do you have a little history about this shirt? How did, how, maybe it's just a popular shirt at outlets that we both picked up randomly. Complete honest story about this shirt okay it showed up in my clothes one day like okay. this is not my shirt i will admit to that okay it um, looks good on I you i assumed it was my son's it's been sitting in my drawer your clean. son's a medium that's an I know, extra I large know. It's, it's big <laughs> medium i like it so today was the day i'm like i don't know whose it is it's i think it's josh's i'm gonna wear it um and then <laughs> The question is like, how would your shirt have gotten into my clothes? That's a great question, but I don't know if I've ever told you this before. But many, many years ago, uh, I where I when I was working where I work now, uh-huh. I saw a KMNU TV two T shirt on the engineer that I work with at work. KMNU happened to be the television station at Mid American Nazarene University <laughs> in Olathe, Kansas. You're okay. Water. So no one else in this area has this shirt but me, uh-huh. and I noticed my engineer at work wearing it i said whoa i have that shirt where did you get that shirt he's like oh, i picked it up at goodwill come to find out my wife took a bunch of clothes uh, without my knowledge to goodwill and of all the people to get that it is someone crazy. i know that so that, yeah, but that the, didn't get this from goodwill but that's the story i thought of so i texted my wife i took a picture without your knowledge and i said you have any idea how jeff acquired my shirt do you think he shops at the goodwill i said i love that shirt she says i've never seen it Oh, you have tons of shirts. I doubt you had that one. Well, I know for a fact, Missy, that I had that one. But uh, and it's... Jamie, Jamie, I do shop at Goodwill. Yeah, so do I. So do we. Yeah. I donate, and apparently we I do too. Buy a lot. Goodwill. You know how much the CEO of Goodwill makes? Okay, that's yeah. a that's a podcast yeah. for another day. Right. I just thought it was a fun story, yeah, and no, it is. any it is. chance to bring up the engineering story of a guy that gets a shirt from yeah. twelve hundred miles away that definitely was mine is always uh, yeah worth bringing up. So back to the podcast. Yeah, as you thing. recall, the middle passage. Yes, uh, we did that 
because there was a port in Oxford, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Oxford is somewhat famous for other things too. Yeah. Including having movies filmed there. Hmm. One of them being Failure to Launch with Matthew McConaughey, the rom-com days of Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yes. And what's her name? From Sex Sarah, and Jessica City, Sarah Jessica Parker. Parker. And also uh, Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> yes, fact, all he, of Terry Bradshaw. All of them. Yes. Every single bit uh, of them. I saw far more of Terry than I wanted to ever yes. see. Yes. Uh, I, so, I did not know that, by the way, that that was fil- filmed there. Yes. Um, so it's interesting. When you watch these movies, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about something. I'll talk about this with Brent today, too. Maybe. Um, <laughs> anytime there is a rock face or... Um, a hill of any kind that people struggle to walk up or down. I know it was not filmed on Delmarva. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a in a failure to launch. There's a climbing, the rock yeah. climbing scene. Yes, like that is not. Yes. So there's a couple scenes where there's a, a sailboat that has Oxford on the back of it. Um, I think there's another scene where we're way in the back. I didn't see this. This is in the book, but way in the back you can see like Welcome to Oxford. Yeah, um, but Oxford is small, but you can. If you've been there, it you can familiar. tell that you know what's there. Like a certain, I think their home is like I think right there on. Um, it's not called Main Street. It would be the Main Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, you're like, I don't know where that house is, but if I drive there right now, I could find it. Wow. Um, so yeah, it it was fun. Um, and the thing about creating content, uh, being a writer, and maybe this is this is probably true for anything. Yeah. But we find excuses to not write. And I've now watched many, many more movies than I would have if I had not watched, had not read Brent's book. Really? So, yeah, because oh. I, failure to launch. Um, well, I, I was Wedding Crashers there. Or was that Saint Michael's? Wedding Crashers. I okay. also watched. I knew again, about that one. And that's Saint Michael's. Uh huh. Um, and I watched that movie, and I was reminded how crass it was. It yeah. did not age well. No. What um, what has aged well? And in those rom com or comedies. But it was still funny. There were things that I, f- oh, yeah. I found funnier. Um, but, yeah, the treatment, it, yeah, it just kind of made my stomach turn, the treatment of Yes, women. but you're looking at it through today's lens, which may be a clearer lens, a better lens. It's A, a more mature lens, A more perhaps. mature lens, perhaps. Yeah. But that's one of my pet peeves, is that we always look back, and there are th- horrible things in history, of course, and I'm, and I'm not excusing them, but we got to also think about the time it was in and yeah. it wasn't yeah. that long ago especially doesn't feel like it was that long ago cuz we're aging and it felt like that was kind of in our wheelhouse in our 20s this sort of thing yeah but i don't know um i'm writing about baseball in my life right now and the cleveland indians play a, a large part cuz when who? i was yeah, exactly they're the, the guardians Cle- now the cleveland guardians so and my favorite podcast, um, if you're all wondering, it's called The Hero's Journey. They Mine's do- still Marvel's own podcast, but hey, you, to each his own. I, I hear you, and it should be. Well said. But my other favorite podcast, Del- um, The Hero's Journey, they, they dissect movies. Mm-hmm. And the last one that we voted for them to do was Major League. And they also struggled, <laughs> like, how do we talk about this? But, you know, they came, this is, this is who we were. Um, so... But yeah, so I spent a lot of time watching movies when I should have been writing. Yeah, um, use it as an excuse. But um, so yeah, Brent Lewis, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, typically, we try to do these intros after, but today we had a little bit of time in between recording sessions, so that's why we're doing this. But Brent Lewis, the Eastern Shore, I'll, I'll call him also a historian because that's that's what he does. So 
without further ado. I have always kind of been fascinated by Hollywood and the Eastern Shore. We have a family member that was in Runaway Bride. Actually, you have a family member. I have a really close friend that was um, Uncle Joe. We have the same last name, but we're not related. Yeah. And this guy didn't even have that same name. Right. So it's very confusing. It's confusing. So, <laughs> um, and he uh, he was one of the members of the Barbershop Quartet. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they made the movie. I mean, we all know. Oh, that. yeah. And <laughs> it's funny because we watch it in... Uncle Joe kind of has his Cheshire grin on his face the whole time. Oh, yeah. He, uh, was, he was loving the moments. But his star turn. He never dropped character because he never got into it. <laughs> so he, he, was all, himself. he was always Uncle Joe. Uh, but, <laughs> a lot of movie stars do that. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, um, he passed a couple years ago. Um, I think, though. But those huge checks are still coming the, in. The check still comes in, everyone. Aunt Marge got a check for like $10. I just saw uh, Susan Waldman, who was uh, who was in for Love of the Game, uh, okay. posted her check for a dollar and thirteen cents for her small speaking <laughs> part. It's it's amazing how that continues to happen. Would you? He's got to bring up a Yankees movie would, or a Yankees reference. A, every Yankees, single the Yankees lost in that movie. Billy Chapel threw a perfect game. We're not we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about the checks. I just feel for the person who has to write those checks and keep the books for all the thousands of people know, that they're writing dollar thirteen checks. That's not even worth the postage. And how many of them don't get cashed? Yeah, I imagine exactly. tons of them don't actually get cashed at some point apparently there's a bar in la somewhere where actors can bring their small checks and get a free (laughs) drink they trade the check the uncashed check for a free drink and all over the walls and ceiling are uncashed well let me pretend like i know what i'm doing here and introduce you to the listeners who who are not familiar i'm not going to go too deep because we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's usually thrown into an introduction but you are a native chesapeake bay eastern shoreman uh, you've written three books on regional history, Remembering Kent Island Stories from the Chesapeake, A History of Kent Island Volunteer Fire Department, and what we'll be talking about today a lot, Stardust by the Bushel, Hollywood on Chesapeake Bay's Eastern Shore. You've written one fiction book, Bloody Point 1976. That's correct. Which I believe is not for children. That's very correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what age are we talking here? Are we, are we like 18, 21, uh, 30? 18, tw- definitely not YA by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, not, not for young adults. It's R-rated. Yeah. So you've con- contributed regularly to the Kent Island Heritage Society newsletter. Mm-hmm. You've been published numerous magazines and newspapers. You had a one-act play? I've written several plays. Yeah. Okay. The superhero won the Lucille Fletcher Playwriting Award a couple of decades ago. Where do you keep Correct. that? The award? Yeah. It's framed up yeah. in my nice. hall of records. There's got to be a special place for it, right? It's not it's in a really box cool. tucked in the closet, though, right? No, it is good, not. Good, Most importantly, though, and I need the backstory on this one. Don't we all? You won a lifetime subscription to a magazine because you made a joke at Jim Carrey's expense? I did. Where did you find that? Uh, Listen. Deep dive. I dived deep. Yeah. What, do you remember what Premier it was? Premier Magazine, years ago, and oh, I know what it was. I'm. I, I. It took me a moment. the The contest was to predict a celebrity's future, and I think all I wrote was in the future, Jim Carrey will be very, very big in France, 
which is kind of a turn on the Jerry Lewis thing. Jerry Lewis was huge in France years after Americans had kind of forgotten okay. about him. And mm. so, yeah, Premier Magazine. And that magazine. offended him? I'm sorry? And that offended him. Oh, no, no, no. I threw that in there. Oh. He, just, he just made a joke. Yeah, no, I doubt that it ever crossed his uh, radar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have a quote from you uh, that I loved um, that kind of goes to what our brains do with memories. And you said, one of the things you like best about oral history is the fiction of individual perspective, the element of embellishment of the teller improving the tale through the telling, not always letting facts get in the way of a good story. Facts don't always get to the whole truth. And I couldn't think of a better quote for the experiences I've had on Delmarva, people telling stories. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows... <laughs> Somebody who was in a movie here, or you know, we all have these little stories. It's an Eastern Shore thing, right? It really, absolutely is. And and that saying, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's that's not. I didn't make that up. Yeah. I've been hearing that all my life. Yeah, uh, very very true here on the shore. You know, I think even in our in your group of friends, mm -hmm. you have stories that you tell each other over and over, and they change a little bit oh, each time or, or that you lot. tell them. You know. <laughs> So where did you grow up? So um, uh, I'm from the Kent Island, Kent Narrows, right. Graysonville area. Mm -hmm. I My f mom's side of the family goes back 10 generations, documented like the 1640s, wow. uh, where Queenstown Golf Course is in, a, in uh, Queenstown, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, by the that, outlets? By the, <laughs> by the outlets. <laughs> uh, that was uh, Henry de Courcy's property. It was a thumb grant. He was a... Uh, compatriot of Lord Baltimore. Lord Baltimore laid out a map and said, put your thumb down and I'll give you all the property that your thumb covers. Henry put his thumb down. I think he was peeking because it's killer Chester River waterfront. <laughs> of course, it's been out of the family for generations. Right. But um, dad's family has probably been here just as long. But mom's side of the family, they were all... Uh, Indian negotiators and war heroes and judges. Dad's family were watermen and farmers. So they didn't keep the kind of records that mom's side of the family kept, even though they've probably been here maybe just as long. I always say that uh, mom's side of the family were the readers and writers. Dad's side of the family were the storytellers. Okay. And my dad was a waterman. There wasn't anything I liked more as a kid than mm. sitting around and listening to those stories. Right. That right. changed every time they told them. <laughs> but that was, you know, my youth was listening to that storytelling. But on then on mom's side of the family, very book oriented. If I had a question, mom would hand me a book to answer that question for me. Mm. When we were talking a minute ago about uh, the truth of storytelling, I ran Ken Island Heritage Society's oral history program for about 10 years. So I've interviewed scores of primarily elderly Ken Islanders, and a lot of them have passed on since. But in that process, I certainly learned a lot about perspective of storytelling. Um, you know, I wasn't trained to be an oral historian. I didn't go to school to study history. I just kind of learned it as I went along. I never thought of myself as a professional interviewer. But as an example of that, sometimes I would be sitting talking to someone and they would say, 
turn that camera off. I want to tell you something. Mm. And if I were a professional, I would say, nope, keep the camera running. That's, but I was a neighbor, not a historian. So Mm -hmm. I would turn the camera off. I'd let them tell me whatever gossip or deep story they wanted to tell me off camera and then turn it back on. Mm. But through that process, I learned a lot about the perspective of, of the storyteller being an important part of storytelling. Right. Right. Um, so you writers don't make a lot of money. Nope. Um, what do you do to bring in to pay the bills? You still paying the bills? Yeah, absolutely. I'm an appraiser, uh, residential real estate appraiser. I've been doing that over 30 years. It's a job that allows me to work from home other than the two days a week that I'm out on the road. I also have a wife who has a, a really good career and has the, um, the benefits, the health insurance and all that stuff. So part of the process, I think of, of any kind of artist, whether you're a writer or otherwise is having someone in your, uh, corner who can help pull the load. Yeah. I can attest to that. Uh, for sure. It means a lot, you know, for one thing, uh, you're alone a lot. You spend a lot of time in a room by yourself doing whatever art you're doing. So you need someone in your corner who's capable of having their own life and supporting you in all that process, but also not being upset that you're not there all the time. Mm-hmm. You're not locked into the to the daily movements of life sometimes. How long have you been married? This year will be our thirtieth year. Okay, so she knew you were trouble there. Well, no, I know. (laughs) I I I, I did. So my decision to commit to writing is a relatively recent commitment, Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that it would have changed anything in my relationship. It would change my whole trajectory of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just so your wife knew going in that writing was important to you? Yeah, I would think so. You know, I think most people who do any of this kind of stuff, it goes back to their youth. So even as a kid, I would write books or draw, you know, create comic books. I'm a big pop culture guy, so I love comics and all that. So even as a little kid, I I did that, which I think if you're, if you tend to be a, a painter, you, you draw as a kid or, you know what I mean? Like it's always part of your life. And then you kind of start discovering ways of getting your work out there. So Peggy, my wife and I, um, we were both bartenders, part-time bartenders at the time. And I started doing those oral histories for the Ken Island Heritage Society, started writing for those newsletters. This was all before we were married. And then I started picking up little local newspaper jobs and magazine jobs, but it wasn't as full time, even though I still have a full time gig Mm -hmm. writing takes a lot of time. And back then it was more of a opportunity um, in my life to, Oh, someone wants me to write this or I, you know, this magazine has, has accepted a pitch to do this, but it was uh, when we first got a lot together, of freelance more, stuff. Yeah, a lot yeah. of freelance stuff. Yeah. And again, like you're right, it, it's not a lot of money. No. Uh, it's interesting, though. Um, I did some freelance here, too. And initially, uh, when I was presented with the opportunity, I said, nah, because it, it it, um, it's for Metropolitan Magazine. There was you know a lot of business selling type of stuff. I'm like, it's not really my what I want to write about. Right. But then, a year or two later, 
the thought occurred to me that somebody offered to pay me to write. <laughs> and I'm like, it's amazing. Oh, I, I could probably find a way to do that. And I did. And as it turned out, I struggled with some stuff um, because you, we have a style in how we write and what we want to write about. And that doesn't always work when someone's paying to have their their products written about. So That's right. Um, it, it can be difficult um, when you have things that you want to say about somebody else and that somebody else is like, well, I would actually like you to say this about my product so there's a lot of learning process in all that too one time i did an article for uh my county's 300th anniversary uh-huh. and i overwrote by two or three hundred words and the editor just cut off the last two paragraphs <sighs> just dropped them and it never gave me an opportunity to rewrite or to wrap it up any better so that was a lesson learned. It was like, okay, Ugh. never overwrite on your word count. If they ask for fifteen hundred, don't give them fifteen oh one. It's yeah, just yeah. you know those lessons. Even though you're not making much money, you're kind of learning yep. things oh, about huge the learning. process. And I know you noticed, but did anyone else notice? Like, did it just not complete the writing? I mean, it certainly didn't to you, but. Did they, they just wanted this word count, so that's what they yeah, got. Yeah, and just kind of to fit on the page. Yeah. And I don't know that anyone else would have noticed, but it definitely was a, a an awakening for me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's something you don't do. You they don't give that. them more than eight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and here's how they showed me they meant that. So, I, you know, I will say I'm, I'm grateful the editors I work with always contact me and said, hey, we need to change. And one time this ex said, do you want us to keep your name on this? <laughs> Whoa. And, uh, well, I did see your reaction when he said that, and it was one of disgust and like, ugh. So it's just I know you're just I know you're just saying you're beginning as a writer, but I could tell you felt that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, I think that there's things that all writers, as you go through a process of doing this stuff, you begin to like. One of my big things is is was finding my voice. I didn't want to write like everyone else. I kind of wanted to, you know, I, I have a sense of humor sometimes, which is hard to put on the page. It's hard. I've learned, like, with social media, no one gets sarcasm Well, it's on interesting that you say that because I think you and I have a similar sense of humor because some of the jokes in uh, Stardust by the Bushel, I caught, but I'm like, other people might not catch this stuff. That's right. Um, it, to me, it, f- <laughs> it felt like dad joke genius, man. I loved it, and I can't. There was I can't remember the specific. There's one about a chihuahua in there that I'm. Uh, it was numero uno. Yes, uh, the, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua yeah. was numero like, uno. Oh, you have to realize that that's a joke about the Chihuahua being. Uh, uh, but there, there's several just these little. It, it, they'd be easy to miss, but if you don't, you really appreciate it. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because, again, you never know how that's going to translate to people. My first two nonfiction books were those Ken Island books. Mm-hmm. They're very history, history-driven. history They're very, to some degree, oral history-driven. I, I wish I had done more quoting in yep. those books than I did. But So I write those two books, and then I do Bloody Point. Um, I had that story in me and had to get it out. Okay. Uh, it's basically my high school years. Uh, I graduated in 1980. The drinking age was 18 when I was in high school. Uh, the story about Bloody Point is a young local waterman is hired by a local rich guy to go to the block in Baltimore 
which is the red light district, the historic red light district in the city, and bring home the rich man's daughter. So I had this story in my head, and I knew it was going to be something that the people who really like the Ken Allen books would be kind of stunned to read to okay. some degree because of the content. Okay. It's very R-rated. There's sex and drugs and violence and all that stuff in it so there was definitely a reaction from my friends and fans who bought the first two ken island books and then came out for bloody point and like with the heritage society ladies that you know there are some <laughs> who don't look at me the same way anymore yeah. and but that's a story i had to get out of my system yeah so i'm i'm working on my own memoir mm -hmm. and when i if yeah, i believe in i'd like to be an honest person and genuine i don't feel right if i'm not i don't feel good about life if i'm not so as i write my story there's gonna be things in there mm -hmm. that um you wonder like how, how are you know i grew up evangelical and i haven't given up my faith but there are some tenets that i grew up with that i just i don't want anything to do with me mm -hmm. and i talk about that stuff and i wonder like what am i risking you know do I want to be honest or do I want to be do I want to be honest and understood or do I want to be what people want me and to play be? it safe yeah right, right so authenticity is important whenever you write I think how whatever you write however you write it authenticity is important and I think that's why finding your voice is important so with with Stardust by the Bushel Two of the people I wrote about had very controversial lives, Tallulah Bankhead and Robert Mitchum. Okay. So as far as their image goes and, and the people that they were. So let me stop you just for a second uh -huh. to clarify. Robert Mitchum is an actor. He is an okay. actor. Okay. He is not the wind. Who's the windshield wiper gentleman? That's Robert Kearns. Okay. They're both Roberts. So yes. It's okay to be confused. Okay. <laughs> That's correct. All right, so Robert Mitchum's the so, actor. So Robert Thank Mitchum you. was an actor. Okay. You know, his biggest movies were, uh, even though not necessarily big at the time, uh, Cape Fear. Um, you know, uh, the biggest film he had was a, an ensemble film, The Longest Day, which is a D-Day film with John Wayne and a bunch yes. of them were in that. Yes. But... Uh, the reason I bring those two up I is... I believe The Longest Day is the first movie made about World War II. I think that's probably right. Yep, yep. And it's and it's star-studded. It's, it's very long for that era. I think right. it's like a three-hour movie. But, you know, Mitchum was a... Uh, his first real brush with the law, he got busted for pot in the 40s. And that was a big news story. Never hurt his career. Um, he was a womanizer, even though uh, he and Dorothy were married for decades and obviously in love. But apparently he never worked with an actress that he didn't have an affair with. Mm. Uh, apparently Tallulah Bankhead on the other side uh, in the 20s was a flapper and was very outspoken about her sexuality and her um, kind of swashbuckling lifestyle. You know, she um, was as outspoken as a celebrity could be at that time. I interviewed her nephew, Bill Bankhead, who lives in Rock Hall, and I interviewed Robert Mitchum's daughter, Patrine, who still lives in L.A., but she's a uh, movie maker and a writer. And I wrote those two chapters knowing that they were controversial people. 
and how deep do you dive into all that? Mm. What you know? How what do you back off from? What do you say? You don't want to sugarcoat anything, but I also didn't need to linger on the scandalous. Right. So Patrine, at one point, my editor and I, Ron Salter here uh, in Salisbury with Seacamp Publishing, we were trying to get the book to the printer. And I had sent out all the chapters to the people concerned so that they could source check it for me. So right. they could read their chapters. And Patrine Mitchum was slow to get there. And I kept nudging her and nudging her and she just wasn't responding. So finally I called her and I said, Patrine, please, you have to read my chapter. We're, we're trying to get to the publisher uh, or to the printer. And if, if you don't read it, it's going to go to the printer without you having source checked it. Within 24 hours, she got back to me and she said, Brent, I'm so sorry it took me so long to read this. She said, but part of the problem is when people write about my dad, they either whitewash everything and don't talk about the guy that he really was, or they focus on the scandal and the controversy of my dad. And the greatest compliment I, got, I could have gotten from her at that point was, I think this is perfect. I think you've walked the line between talking about mm -hmm. who my dad really was and the way he was, but also not lingering on that part of his personality. So that made me feel good. And then Billy Bankhead, when I sent him his aunt's piece, Billy is very quiet, private guy. He didn't have much to respond to me back, but he didn't have any problem with the way that I addressed his aunt's life. Well, I mean, it's interesting to be in the woods. You guys are both writers, and you know, I would never even think of when you read a book or write a book that you need to... So, I mean, of course you need a source check. Mm -hmm. But if you write that from your perspective and what you took from those interviews, a lot of people would just be like, oh, I thought he would just take it and print it. But do most authors that write stories like that try to get it source checked or at least check in with the people they interviewed to make sure i don't know yeah. really i I, I, like... I think it's necessary okay. because then you're going to find fewer mistakes mm -hmm. in you know your readers are going to find fewer mistakes and speaking of covid so with my plan changing i couldn't do the things i wanted to do to go out and visit people um there were I think three interviews I did prior to COVID, including Billy Bankhead. But then when things changed and I couldn't do all that stuff, I had to rethink how to approach all of it. And as difficult as it made it in some regards, I think that there were people available to me who might not have been otherwise. I don't know that I would have been able to spend so many hours with Patrine <laughs> if she hadn't been home looking for someone to talk to like everybody else in the world. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Carol Fleischer is a big time location scout and manager who has done everything from, you know, Oscar winners like Philomena to Sharknado. And her one of her last big films was Wonder Woman 84. She's a specialist on the Chesapeake Bay region, Virginia, Baltimore, or Virginia, Washington, and Maryland. She location scouted for the Wedding Crashers and for uh, Failure to Launch. And she's been involved with a lot of those big pictures. She was super forthcoming. Like, we talked a lot. She sent me pictures. She... But she's such a busy person. If it hadn't been for COVID, I don't mm. know that she would have been available to me like she was. <laughs> so as much difficulty as came up from those challenges of not being able to write the book the way I want it, 
it also kind of opened some doors for me. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it really was a, a learning process for me, too, because when we got back and, and COVID was the thing, I was like, how am I going to write this now? What, yeah. I, I'm, I can't do all these things I planned on doing. And so it's a different book than it would have been without COVID, I think. Do you think it's better than it would have been? Or? I don't know. It's it's different. You know, I would have visited the Harriet Tubman Museum in Chesapeake City. They have a big... Um, uh, they have a big display in their museum about the James Adams floating theater there. Mm. And, you know, it just, it, it's different. I don't know better or worse, but definitely a different book than it okay. would have been if had COVID had not been a thing. Okay. Well, five years from now, when you, when you go back when and do, go do back. some editing. And... Well, you know, that's funny because I thought by now I would have been getting a lot of feedback from people who had other stories to tell. And I never right, meant, I never meant that book to be comprehensive or chronological. Yeah. I kind of look at it as a collection of essays about films okay. on the Eastern Shore. Um, but I and some people have approached yeah. me with some stuff. Yeah, so I, I I'm reading through. I don't know a lot about Annie Oakley. Uh huh. Um, but we have a family story that this may be. Don't let the facts get in the way of the truth or whatever. However right. it goes. <laughs> um, but. My in-laws, they had a piano in their house and were moving and got the piano. Or At some point, they moved the piano and discovered hanging on the back of it, on the back of the piano, were ribbons that were Annie Oakley's that she had won and, you know, she won hundreds upon hundreds of things. And when I'm reading your, as I'm reading your book... You mentioned that Annie Oakley had melted down all her metals, or somebody melted yep, down her medals. she melted them down. And I saw that, and I'm like, at this point, I'm thinking there were medals hanging on the back of this piano. And I'm thinking, oh, the family story's not right. So I went to my wife, and I said, tell me about Annie Oakley's piano again um, in the medals. And she said, they weren't medals. They were ribbons. Mm. So that's kind of neat. However, my in-laws were moving. And they believe this is Annie Oakley's piano. I don't know how they got it. Um, there might be a story there. Oh, I'm sure there is a story there. But they put this piano in the back of a truck to move it and didn't tie it down and hit the gas. And it went flying out the back and smashed into a million pieces. And my father-in-law looked at his dad and thought he was going to die of a heart attack in the moment. Wow. Um, and I don't know what happened to the ribbons. And again, don't know where the truth is. Sure. But uh, they insist that they are not... I mean, kind of weird to just make up a story about a piano with ribbons in the back of it. Yeah, um, sure. So, But as I'm reading that, and, uh, I was glad to find out that they weren't medals, they were ribbons, because you would have just destroyed a, fam- <laughs> a family legacy. Uh, or not legacy, but a family story. But you know, I, um, I have those same kind of things as a real estate appraiser over these past 30 years. Um, at different times, I have been in Belmont Farmhouse, where in Trap, where Mitchum lived. Okay. At the time, I didn't really register where I was. This has been 20 years ago. 
Um, it was a sale for the property. I was appraising it, walking through the house, not really realizing, oh, I'm in Robert Mitchum's old house. <laughs> I've been in the Annie Oakley house okay. years ago when it sold. I appraised it. And then Robert Kearns, who we mentioned, the windshield wiper inventor, uh, intermittent windshield wiper inventor, he lived in the historic home Cheston on the Y, which is in Queenstown. And I was in there after he passed away to help settle the estate. Oh, is that the home Rumsfeld ended up buying? Uh, no, that is Mount Misery outside of St. Okay. Michael's, in right. St. Michael's. But, you know, to have been in these houses and not, like, consciously no. thought I'm in this, you know, take note of what you're doing. I was just doing my job. I was walking through, sketching the floor plan, taking photos of the interior, measuring the outside, thinking, oh, am I going to get home for dinner? Not really thinking, oh, you're in Robert Mitchum's old house. Yeah. So sometimes those things just slip by you. Yeah. So when did you, did you always kind of want to write a book about Hollywood and the Eastern Shore? Or when did you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to, here, here's something. To so the Ken Island books, uh, were published by History Press, and I was doing. I was with the Ken Island Heritage Society, and I was doing those oral history interviews. The History Press had published a lot of books in the South and in New England, but were looking to expand in the Mid Atlantic region. So they were reaching out to historical societies throughout the area. Hey, if you've got any ideas for books, pitch them to us. And Miss Audrey Hawkins, who was the longtime treasurer of the Heritage Society, got this letter. And I'd been writing for the newsletter and writing for magazines and newspapers here and there. Miss Audrey gives me this piece of paper and she says, You need to pitch a book about Ken Island to these people. I resisted a little bit. I'm not sure why. Finally, I made the pitch just to get Miss Audrey to leave me alone. And it was interesting because making a pitch for a publisher like that teaches you a lot of things. They want to know what other books are out there like this one, but what would make yours different? Who's the audience? Like you kind of have to think about a lot of things to fill out these pitches. It's a good good exercise for writers because it makes you narrow down, what am I writing? So I make the pitch to History Press and they go, it's great. We'd like to publish this book. And then I thought, oh, no. Now I have to figure out how to write a book. Yeah. Like, I had not anticipated this reply. Mm. So we do that one. Pretty successful. Still sells pretty well. And a friend of mine is with the Ken Island Volunteer Fire Department. He says, Brent, we have one founding member left. Would you interview him? I go and interview him. It's great. I kind of tell my buddy, hey, you know, do you have anybody else you'd like me to talk to? So the Ken Island Fire Department book kind of built out of that. I pitched it to History Press. They said, yes, we'll do that. I um, Then I published self-published Bloody Point 1976, and... Then I kind of stepped away from bigger projects for a little bit. I was playwriting. I uh, had written some, you know, flash fiction has become a big thing. Right. So 10-minute plays have become a big thing across the country. So I was writing some 10-minute plays. Three of them, four of them got produced uh, between Chestertown and Elkton. 
some competitions that they had. So that was really fun seeing actors speak my words on stage and sure. interpret my I'm play. Sure. Like that's really cool, really mm. fun. But I started to realize, oh, you don't have anything to talk about anymore, book wise, or like to go out and and discuss. And you don't and and you don't have anything to sell. Like you're doing these plays and you've got these two history books and you have Bloody Point, but you're not really selling a whole lot of those anymore. So you don't have anything to to that to remind people that you're an author. So I had a meeting with Ron Salter. We threw around some ideas. The original idea for the book was Icons of the Eastern Shore, which included athletes and politicians and business people. We've had all those kind of celebrities right. who live here. But we realized that that was a very expansive book. The scope of that was probably too big to take on. Plus, I had the idea, well, if you let me do... We landed on Hollywood for me, being a pop culture movie fan. We landed on that. I said, but if, if I do that one, maybe that opens up to a whole line of books. Uh, athletes of the Eastern Shore, politicians of the Eastern Shore, like movers and shakers of the Eastern Shore. I don't necessarily want to write those, yep. but, you know, let me have this. We originally contracted for 40,000 words. June of 2020, or I guess it was August of 2020, something like that, I called my publisher and I said, I think we have a problem. And he said, what is it? And I said, I think I've written two and a half books here. Mm. I had like 120,000 words. Yeah, it's kind of lengthy. Point. There he goes overwriting again. Yeah, <laughs> and I, but I do like that. At least I, you called ahead of time. This I, did. I didn't just hand it to him and go, here's all this book, here's man. Two and a half times. Do with for. it what you will. Um, but I do overwrite. I te I've always tended to mm. overwrite and then edit. Yeah, I'm guilty of that I, as well. I, I'd rather do that. I think that's better than padding. You know, like if, if someone hires you to do 15, hundred words and you write a thousand and you've got to add a bunch of nonsense words to crank it up to yeah. 1500 every single one of my school reports right? <laughs> me too that's so why an I'm, awful lot like i college. wasn't a great student so <laughs> I, I i'm with you on there and so yeah that that process of of editing um brought us to that book mm. got us got us to um, and you know, there's stuff that I intentionally left out or people I couldn't get a hold of. So Linda Hamilton, uh, yep. who's from the Salisbury area of the Terminator movies, uh, with Schwarzenegger and beauty and the beast was a big cult TV show. For I remember her. I, I watched it as a kid. I had yeah. a lot of difficulty getting, getting to her. Right. I kept trying through friends of friends and seven degrees of separation yeah. and then professionally through IMDB contacts and all that stuff. And eventually the word got back that she had recently lost her sister. Her yep. twin uh. sister died early 2020. And eventually someone got back to me to say that um, she wished me luck, but she didn't really feel connected to the shore anymore and didn't have anything to contribute to my work. I still tried two or three more times after that, I think, yeah. but never got another response. It's because she went to Why High, not Bennett. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that might be the yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit, well, do you find it's intimidating at all? I mean, we just recorded a conversation with an American Idol contestant, and I got to be honest with you, like sitting down to send out that initial email to a huge TV show when I record my podcast in a barn. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It, it's like, 
what am I? Uh, imposter syndrome. Like loud voices were like, what are you doing, you moron? You should never feel like that, man. You know, uh, uh, people are people. They want to talk to you. Most people want to tell you their story. I found that through the oral history stuff that if you just, you know, I listened to my early tapes of interviewing people for that and I cringe mm-hmm. because I won't shut up. I The silence is like drove me crazy uh, but as i got better at it i started to, oh the silences are good like if you be quiet a moment they'll fill that silence with something and so everybody from you know the uh, lowest person on the social ladder to celebrities want to talk they want to tell their stories mm-hmm. so you should definitely never feel that imposter syndrome but yes i did feel a little intimidated once in a while um, but I never really got to speak to anyone super famous uh, during the process, except perhaps Linda Harrison, who is from Berlin, and she was mm-hmm. in the original Planet of the yep. Apes movie with Charlton Heston. Uh, she was reluctant at first. I, I kept reaching out to her, and I had a home phone number. And then one day we just clicked. I don't know what happened, but... Uh, at certain point, she just became really friendly. I, I, I guess I had built trust with her at a certain point. She began to trust me. And I think from being from the Eastern Shore helped. Okay. And she heard my voice. And she heard me say, yes, ma'am. And, you know, gotcha. uh, the my vocabulary and, and my accent. And it, I think it touched her that, oh, she's from my home. And she became super friendly, super opening very forthcoming. We talked tons on the telephone and um, I found her to be a great storyteller. She was super funny. She was as charming as she could be, but it it took us a while, you know, like any kind of little social dance that you do with people. It, It took us a little while to get there, but we got to the point when we, when we source checked her chapter. So when I was a little boy, uh, Planet of the Apes comes out in 68. I was six years old. The only thing bigger than Planet of the Apes to me was Batman, was Adam West <laughs> Batman. and But Planet of the Apes was amazing to me as a child. Um, so when we source-checked Linda, she kind of was hesitant, too. She wouldn't get to it. I had to call her like I did Patrine. And I said, Linda, please, you, you, I need you to source-check this. And she said, oh, well, all right, hold on a second. Let me get it. And she went and got it, and she started reading it out loud to me. And it took us about an hour and a half for her to read her chapter over the phone out loud. And at one point, I caught myself rolling my eyes like, oh, my gosh, I don't really have time for this. (laughs) And then I checked myself. I thought, dude, you're talking to Nova from Planet of the Apes. She's reading your book about her to you. And and my whole attitude changed immediately. I was like, this is very, very cool. And she's super nice. You know, it was it was really awesome. That's awesome, because my heart sank as a as a Delmarvian when you said Linda Hamilton doesn't feel that connection anymore. It's like, oh, I always hate when people are from here and, and go somewhere else. And right. Like, eh, it's, it's not, I would like that tough. to fall in her hands. I would yeah. like that book somehow to get into her hands yep. so she could see Have you wh- sent her what copy? I did. I haven't. I haven't you sent do her it. a copy. Yeah. Um, I sent copies to all my sources, to all the people I did interview, and we're talking 25 or 30 yeah. books that Jeff went will pay out. shipping for, if you sent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Courtesy of Delmarva's own uh, There you yeah. go. 
<laughs> which is also Jeff's bank account. <laughs> oh man! So what? What did you learn in in writing? Um, I'm just going to call it. I keep forgetting the name Stardust. I keep wanting to call it Bushels. What, <laughs> Stardust or. by the Bushel. Did you learn anything that you're like, wow, I, I had no idea, or? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff because I didn't know a lot of the the details of of the people I was writing about necessarily. Okay. I knew kind of stuff, but I I didn't drill down. I think the coolest thing for me that I found out or or discovered as I went along were all these little weird connections uh, between the people in the book or, okay. or the topics in the book. So like I just mentioned the Batman TV show, Linda Harrison's first on-screen appearance is in an episode of Batman. She plays a cheerleader. Tallulah Bankhead's last on-screen appearance is in an episode of Batman. She played the villain black widow in the third season of Batman. Huh. Um, you know, there were, uh, um, Tallulah Bankhead. So the first film partially made on the Eastern Shore was in 1917, a silent movie called The Whip. Mm-hmm. And it's about it's a melodrama about horse racing. But it was a it was a play originally. And the play was was amazing for its time, supposedly. There were uh horses on stage. They uh staged a train wreck on stage. But that's part of the story that the villains in the piece stage a train wreck to keep this racehorse out of a race. That was filmed in Queenstown. They they bought some old rolling stock. They found a piece of track, unused track between Centerville and Queenstown. January 1917, they come and film this train crash uh, on the Eastern Shore, and they're back in New York by the end of the afternoon. But the very first play that Tallulah Bankhead ever saw was The Whip on Broadway. <laughs> huh. Her father took her and her sister to see The Whip. And so all these little weird connections that I kept running into and stumbling on, yeah. those amazed me. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is very cool. Or Linda, Ham- Linda Hamilton talking about Linda Harrison in a newspaper article saying, yeah, you know, nobody's really famous from where I come from except Linda Harrison, who was in Planet of the Apes, and they're still talking about her 20 years later. Yeah. And it's just funny how these little weird connections. By happen. the way, I usually get really excited when they reboot a movie today that was made 60s, 50s. Mm-hmm. You do get excited? I do, because okay. I like to see a movie with a new technology. And the turn on yeah. contemporary storytelling. Planet of the Apes, n- no. I, I you just, didn't like... I didn't like the, the newer... The newer version. Uh, the Mark Wahlberg version, the Tim Burton version falls short for me. Yeah. Like it's, it's so weird. Yeah, I think right? that's, that, that was my issue. Um, and just, then the newer ones, like I, I don't think I've seen the whole series. Um, no, I'm, I'm talking about the Mark Wahlberg. Oh, uh, yeah, Mark yeah, Wahlberg yeah. Ones, the, yeah. The, the newer ones, like I've seen the first couple, and they're more like action films. Uh-huh. But they have this undercurrent. You know, I don't think that the producers... There's some discrepancy about the original Planet of the Apes. The producers always maintained that there were no uh, political overtones in the original. Right. That that was not their intention, even that's what if that's what the audience read into it. But then I think underneath the surface, they always knew that 
there would be an aspect of that about mm. that film. You know, it came out in 68. It was released um, the day Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. It was still in theaters when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. So, you know, there the, the underclass and the political overtones of that original Planet of the Apes movie definitely was missing in the Tim Burton version. In, in other words, I think there was a lack of depth maybe right. in that film, whereas the newer movies seem to have some of that, that depth, depth put mm. back in. Mm. Yeah. So we were talking before you came in, um, you know, writers will procrastinate mm-hmm. their writing and I used your book as an opportunity to do research and I've watched several movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, right. Since, um, I watched Failure to Launch, which I hadn't seen before. Um, and we you know, we tie it into Oxford. We our last podcast episode was about um the middle passage. Oh yeah. And, you know, that stopped in Oxford. So there's that connection there. Um I also watched Clara's Heart. I'd never seen Clara's Heart. Yep. Um but we talked Sissy Spacek, she could have bought a house here for the amount of time she spent on these short Isn't film, it the film truth? movies. Yeah, she yeah. really was here a lot. She's um but you know, she's a regional uh, uh resident in some ways. Her and her husband own a farm in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So when you okay. think about Del Marva, that's different than the part of Virginia they live in, but it's certainly of this region. Right. And um I think that, you know, people have an affinity for this region and look for opportunities to come back. It's like with St. Michael's with their kind of celebrity quote, uh, uh, exposure to celebrity down there. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of always think of St. Michael's as like really being Hollywoodish. If, if okay. you keep your eyes open walking through St. Michael's, you don't know who you may see down yeah. there. And I think it's easy to miss people too. Um, I have, is. I've actually not been to St. Michael's long enough to mm-hmm. have noticed it. Um, I went to Nashville once. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Nashville several times, but I was at a restaurant to meet a friend. And it's kind of a thing. Nashville is similar to St. Michael's and how they know the celebrities are there, but you leave them alone because it's right. where they live and they want them to feel comfortable. And the friend I met with said, well, have you seen anybody famous since you came here? I said, no, I don't think so. He goes, there were three people in the restaurant. And it, the restaurant was about twice the size of this small room we're sitting in. <laughs> yeah. And Keith Urban was one of them. Oh, that's funny, um, man. The lead singer from, uh, oh, I forget. He's got the big thick rim glasses from, I see, I can't remember his name now. But I sh- somebody else I should have. He was have. recognizable. Yeah, he was, he was a judge in the acapella competition show. Um Ben Folds. Ben Folds. Okay. It was oh, Ben Folds. Cool. And I didn't recognize. Yeah. How do you not recognize Ben Folds? Yeah. But but yeah, but St. Michael's the is that way. With him, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> he was by himself. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, servers. I spent 15 years in the restaurant business. I was a bartender when I got out of the Navy, and um, and I was working in real estate at the same time. But uh, it, you know, so there's always been this rumor here on the shore that Tom Selleck owned property. Yes, I've shore, heard that right? rumor. You've yes. heard that before. So I was working at the Fisherman's Crab Deck at Kent Narrows as a bartender, mm-hmm. and this is the mid '80s. And we have a friend named Greg it's Magnum PI time who looks just like Magnum PI. <laughs> and so at the time, um, speaking of reboots, I don't like. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> So this this couple's in my bar, and um, she says, uh, come here, come here. And I go, yeah. And she goes, um, we were just over at the other bar, 
and uh, Tom Selleck's over there. And I was like, oh, cool. That's cool to hear. About 20 minutes later, my friend Greg walks in the door and she goes, there he is. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. That's funny. That's so, funny. you know, those kind of, uh, you know, I've, uh, uh, that's one thing I have heard kind of since the book has come out is uh, celebrities that may be kind of circling the area now. Um, but also, uh, supposedly, uh, Clara Bow, uh, the old silent film actress, owned property in, uh, uh, I think, Taylor's Island at okay. some point in the past. But, you know, lately I've been hearing things about Johnny Depp. Of course, we know Johnny Depp's a little busy right now. Yes. Yeah. But yes. apparently his so he has family in the area. Hmm. Uh, people see him at the um, Hyatt in Cambridge with some regularity. Again, I don't know how true that is. Mm-hmm. It could be like my friend Greg story right, you right. know there's a guy yeah. who's walking around looking like johnny depp when really it's someone who looks like the pirates of the caribbean and i think most recently the connection is uh jeffrey dean morgan and his wife i don't know if you saw that and snow hill hillary burton i think's her name yeah is uh she was she was doing some type of project in snow hill i want to say this was a month two months hmm. ago so I mean, it, so it that's continues. a new one on me. That's... He's been spotted, and she was as well. But oh, obviously, that's he's cool. more famous with Walking Dead. Yeah, but, uh... I was just listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, they were talk. It was uh, it wasn't with him, but they they were talking about um, the they live in upstate New York, and apparently they're very involved in their community and mm-hmm. just Down regular people, kind yeah. of folk, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the thing too. Like it, when you meet celebrities sometimes face to face, it's a little jarring because you go, Oh, I've seen this guy. Yeah. I've been watching walking dead for 10 yeah. years. I've seen this guy every Where's Sunday night. For, in it? Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I think once you kind of relax and see them as just, you know, a regular person, they appreciate it more. Oh yeah. You, you kind of relax and kind of get over that initial shock of being around celebrities sometimes. Well, we're getting long. I'm long winded always. Me too, Uh, man. But before we wrap up, what, what projects are you working on now? Do you have any goals for, for the future that you'd like to share? Uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do next. My wife and I were just talking about it last night. Like what's, what's next? I, I, I kind of, you know, the, the, the short plays are kind of fun because I can, in a weekend, write something that I know um, has potential or not. It's like, you can't finish it in a weekend, but you can write enough of it to no, go, oh, this substance. is worth pursuing. Whereas a book, you could write for a year and then go, oh, no, I don't mm. have anything here. You know, mm. you could spend a lot of time spinning your wheels with bigger projects. So I'm not real sure. I, you know, we anticipate maybe in the future a sequel to Stardust, depending on what kind of information we can get. I, um, bloody point, I have an idea for a prequel and a sequel. So basically I Star Wars it and started in the middle. Gotcha. And uh so that might be the next big project I work on is like kind of the uh, uh it would be Love Point nineteen thirty eight would be the prequel. And so that might be my uh next bigger sit down and take a year to write project. Okay. All right. Well, you have a website as well, um, Eastern Shore Brent. Correct. Com? Uh, yes. Dot com. Uh, that's where I got some of the, 
the Jim Carrey story. Uh, Very good. Um, And I have to say, uh, I really like your blog. Thank Um, you. If you want, there's more pictures in there from your book topics. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot. Thank you. There's a lot of content. I know you've been on it a lot lately. I have not, but there's some. There's Some about seven years there. worth yeah. of stuff on there. If you're interested at all in stories from the Eastern Shore, particularly the Kent Island area, yep. um, it's a, a great resource, and I'll help you back to it. Uh, Thank right, you, right. man. I, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you, the opportunity to talk to you guys today. Where I people mean, get your book? Anywhere you get books? Yeah, anywhere. I mean, you know, we're available pretty much every independent bookstore on Delmarva for the most yep. part, and then some other retailers, gift shop kind of things here and there online. You know, I'm at the point now where I'm asking people that if they do like the book uh, to leave an Amazon review. Uh-huh. Um, I, You know, I would prefer folks to buy books from local independent booksellers um, because that's an industry that struggles. Right. Mm-hmm. And the more support they get from local writers, the better. But let's face it, online sales are important too. Right. And, and, and those reviews, positive reviews, make a difference. So, uh, you know, I'm at the point where I'm asking people if they like the book to please leave a I will a nice do that review. for you. I appreciate sure. that. And you can get, dear listeners... An autographed copy Ooh. that Brent has given us, and we're going to give away uh, with a little trivia question based on the podcast episode. I don't know what that question is yet. I'll get it to Randy. Um, we also have $50 gift cards still sitting out there from from the Middle Passage episode that it, it's just sitting there. The answer is easy. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, A simple-minded person could answer that question. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Uh, I, don't I don't know. So I'm a simple kind of man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that may or may not have been a hint for the answer of that original trivia question, but yeah. So I'll get that to you, Randy. Uh, quick question, but it is fascinating because I come in kind of my my role in this podcast is kind of come in blind. I mean, right? Jeff's, Jeff's the one that's always prepared, and even before the mics came on, talked about. He said, "Hey, I don't want to say this with the mics on necessarily because I want you to know I mean this. You know, I love your book, uh, and yeah. uh, you know it. It's." It's eye-opening to me because it's like, all right, and I think people that Randy listen can't to, read exactly. Yeah, uh, I think people, <laughs> I think people that like me maybe aren't that familiar with it now, or somewhat enough familiar with it to go. This sounds awesome. I want to check this out. Yeah. So we we the Delmarva Zone podcast is curating a, a list right now for summer reading for people coming to Delmarva, and your book's going to be on it. That's awesome. Um, a fellow author has provided me with a, some words of praise. Um, if he didn't, I was going to myself. And uh, you provided you. some about his book. So I'm looking forward to this for this list. Um, if you know, if a listener out there has a book by a Delmarva author that people should read, uh, get you know you know how to get to the podcast. It's on our website, delmarvazone.com. And let me know, and we'll see if we can get that on the list. So That's awesome. You know, I think supporting local writers is a big part of the gig, man. Like, uh, you know, I'm I, not the kind of guy who feels like it's a, a zero-sum game where if you buy their book, you can't buy mine or can't right. support my efforts. I, I think the more that we're all in it together, yeah. the better. Yeah. And I've always been supportive of other local writers and, and feel like uh, – something like this where you all focus on i know that you know it's not just writers that you all speak to but from my point of view getting these uh interviews out letting people hear you know uh the book i always tell people if it's half as much fun to read as it was to write 
I'm satisfied with yeah. it. I'm if, I'm happy with it at yeah. that point because it was a lot of fun to write. Oh, I'm sure it was. It was yeah. really yeah. fun. And you you dug deep too, and, and some of the stuff that you talked about with silent films, like it, there was nothing there. I I couldn't imagine where you even got that information because the films are gone; they don't exist anymore. Yeah, a lot of uh, you know, there's thousands of lost films. Uh, they were uh, uh, filmed on acetate, so they right. uh, exploded and burned down warehouses full of films sometimes. Yep. And so, yeah, and, and you know, another weird connection, Robert Mitchum, uh, the f- first kiss, which they're still talking about in Talbot County, was filmed in 1928. Uh, one of the times mm-hmm. Mitchum was in L.A., he was looking for that film and was told no it was lost in a fire wow and so you know uh, gary cooper and Fay ray were in saint michael's every 10 years there's another kind of article about it and um you know it's still a big deal 100 years later so people connect berlin is still um, you know, enjoying the fruits of Runaway Bride. Of being Hail Maryland. For yeah, of being yeah. Hail Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a cool topic. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad people are digging the book. And it's Stardust by the Bushel, Hollywood and the Ch- Chesapeake Bay's Eastern Shore. Go out, buy one for yourself, and then buy one for a friend and give it to them. So I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you inviting me to join you. Thanks for listening to Delmarva's own podcast, where today we talk to one of Delmarva's own authors, Brent Lewis. The winner of today's trivia question will win an autographed copy of Brent's most recent book, Stardust by the Bushel. Here's the question. What comedian and actor did Brent once predict would do very, very well in France? This was a long podcast, so we'll tell you this much. The answer is towards the beginning. Congratulations to the winner of last episode's trivia contest, Megan Smith of Fruitland, Maryland. Megan provided us with the correct answer to the question about Jay Copeland's parking ticket problem at Salisbury University. Use the send us a message button at delmarvasown.com to tell us the answer. Make sure to leave us information about how we can contact you to make sure you get the autographed book. Stay tuned to the very end to hear from some of our other trivia callers from last episode. If you like this episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get the word out. If you didn't like this episode, We'd like to hear about that, too. Use that send us a message button on delmarvazone.com for anything you'd like to communicate to us. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a positive review if you're so inclined. Today's guest was Brent Lewis, and the episode was hosted by Jeff Scott and Randy Scott. The podcast was written, sound engineered, edited, and produced by Jeff. See you next time, Delmarva. This is Jeff from Somerville, Massachusetts. The advice that Jeff gave to Jay was to only park in places where he was allowed to park. Hi, my name is Martha Jane Linton. I live in Saxis, Virginia. I'm always up in Salisbury, especially Sam's Club, my favorite spot, the home of Jay Cookman. And I believe, if I wasn't, I'm not right, I think I'm certain, though, they, he told him not to park in the wrong spot when he goes back to school to keep him from getting a, a ticket. Hey, Jay, we're waiting for you down here in Virginia. We're only 60 miles from you. I have a restaurant here in Saxis. 
If you like seafood, come see me. I make the best soft crab sandwich around. Bring your parents too, okay? Hey, and I'll pick up the tab. Just get a hold of me, Martha's Kitchen. God bless you. He'll be with you all the way.